This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter number six, if you would, this morning. We're continuing our theme, Magnify Jesus. It's our theme for the uh, year, and we're taking a look at how we can practically magnify Jesus in our own lives, uh, and we're taking a look today at magnifying Jesus through our giving, and so we'll be taking a look at that today. If you've missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our website at whoecala.org. Subscribe to our podcast there. Uh, stay caught up on the messages as well. I'm also really excited tonight. We kick off a brief mini-series, probably about six weeks or so long from the book of Ecclesiastes entitled Vanity. And so I'd encourage you, if you don't come out normally on Sunday nights, come out tonight uh, because we're kicking off a brand new mini-series. You'll get to hear some great uh, truths from the book of Ecclesiastes. I know for sure will help you for sure. Matthew chapter 6, we find ourselves in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's the most lengthy discourse that we find written out in Scripture that Jesus gave. Uh, and if you ever want to find a, what would Jesus say if he had a group of folks to talk to, you can read through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he gives a lot of practical truths regarding life, uh, and we'll uh, dive into those this morning as well. Matthew chapter 6, uh, we're going to start in verse number 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy I be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. Therefore, the light that is in thee be darkness. How great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other, or else he'll hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That word mammon means money. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Hold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? As we take a look at giving this morning, some of you might have already looked at the notes and automatically felt uncomfortable. Uh, for whatever reason, talking about giving makes people feel weird. And I'm just here to kind of set you at ease this morning. Don't feel weird about it. Uh, if I was talking about praying, you wouldn't say, oh, this is really awkward. He's going to talk about praying this morning. Uh, oh, he's going to talk about reading your Bible this morning. I feel really weird about this. Don't feel weird at all. It's, I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. And here's the great part about God's word. God's word lays out truth for us. The Bible tells us that the, the word of God is true from cover to cover. And when you're presented with truth, you get to make your own decision about what you are willing to accept or reject. Totally up to you. And so that's the great part about God's word is God's word just puts the truth out there for you and you can choose to either accept it or reject it. You can either choose to obey it or disobey it. And at the end of the day, uh, it's between you and God what you do with that. So today we're just going to put out information uh, and, uh, and you can do with it what you will. Now, a lot of times people feel uneasy about giving for a couple of, re uh, talking about giving for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, sometimes people feel awkward about hearing a message on giving because they're not giving. Just as someone who uh, is not praying feels awkward hearing a message on praying. Someone who's not sharing their faith might feel awkward or uneasy about hearing a message about um, sharing their faith because they're not doing it. And so if that's you this morning, I would just ask you to, to come to this with an open heart saying, God, just reveal truth to me and allow me to just obey in whatever way you'd have me to obey. Second of all, one of the main reasons I find people who feel awkward about hearing a message on giving is because they've heard poor teaching on giving. And when I talk about poor teaching, it's either unbiblical teaching or it's strong arm preaching on giving about how if you're not doing this, you don't love the Lord. If you're not doing this, uh, you know, 
the way that, it's, that the pastor says that you, you should, uh, that you're a terrible Christian, you're a horrible person, you don't love God, things along those lines, just bad teaching. I've also personally sat uh, in, in your seat before and listened to a pastor preach poorly on, preach, on, on uh, giving. Uh, and it was very hurtful to hear. Um, I heard a pastor one time say uh, from the pulpit, he said, if you're not tithing to God the way that you should, we'll take a look at what tithing is in just a moment. He says, God's gonna take your money one way or the other. Either you can give it to him or he's gonna take it. And some of you that aren't tithing, your transmission's gonna go out on your car this week because you're not tithing. That's just God taking what he uh, deserves. That's just completely and totally, first of all, unbiblical. Secondly, it's not in the character of our God. Thirdly, if God needs something from, for himself, he doesn't need to take it from you or I. He owns everything anyways. Fourthly, I have tithed since, since I was a, a, a kid, and I've had the transmission go out on my car. We've had tithing, serving, giving families that have had their engine blow up on the way to church on a Sunday morning, okay? And that's not God trying to get what he deserves or what belongs to him. That's just poor teaching. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God has given to us, so we should give to him. The Bible says that we should give with a cheerful heart. And I just want to tell you this this morning. If you ever feel compelled or guilted into giving, just don't. Just keep it to yourself. Don't give. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And God wants us to give out of a heart of love, worship, adoration. God wants us to give to him because he's worthy of being given to God doesn't want us to give because we feel compelled or we feel guilty or we feel like maybe somebody's looking down at us with their hands on their hips because we don't give. Those are all terrible reasons to give. And as we take a look at this uh, passage this morning on, on giving, we'll take a look at the end, 10 principles on biblical giving, and I want to help you with this. This is either going to be a good reminder for some of you, it's going to be a teaching opportunity for some of you, and for other folks, really, again, at the end of the day, you're going to leave here feeling awkward about this message. If, if that's the case, I just want to tell you this. First of all, uh, I preach 50, uh, probably 152 weeks out of the year, probably 110 plus messages a year. I preach one message a year on giving, and you just happen to be here. If you're a first-time guest, come back next week. We're going to talk about prayer. Um, but literally less than 1% of the year we talk about giving, less than 1%. Uh, so you just came on that Sunday, and if you feel awkward, I'm sorry. I don't want you to feel awkward in any way whatsoever. Next week, we're going to talk about prayer. Come back then, uh, and, and if you're praying, you won't feel awkward about it. If you are, you might still feel awkward. Uh, but uh, so come back next week. And again, at the end of the day, this is just what the Bible says. This is not my opinion. Uh, this is not what our church believes. It, our church believes the Bible, and biblical truth always leads us in the right direction. I mentioned earlier that I, I've tithed since I was a kid because my parents taught me to do that from a very young age. I was in church uh, nine months before I was born and nine months afterwards, and, and 18 years after that. We didn't miss the service Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, unless somebody was uh, sick, dead, or dying. Uh, we were always in church. And my parents taught me from a very young age that whatever you get placed in your hands automatically belongs to God, everything. So if, if I get $10 for my birthday, $10 of that is God's money, all of it. That's a principle that we call stewardship, that everything we have belongs to God. We don't own anything. Uh, I don't own a car. The cars that I have belong to the Lord. He's given them to me, and I'm gonna take really good care of them because they don't belong to me. My wife is my wife. She doesn't belong to me, though. She belongs to the Lord. I wanna take really good care of her because she is God's child. My children that I have, all four of them, uh, I, I try to take really good care of them because they don't belong to me. They belong to God. They're just on loan for me to manage. That's a principle called stewardship. And my parents taught me from a young age that everything that God places in my hands, 100% of it belongs to him, but he allows me to keep some of that for myself to do with as I think would honor and please him. And so uh, from a very young age, I remember being taught that. Every single week of the world, I saw my daddy sat in the choir in our, the church that we went to, and when the offering basket would come by, he'd take out of his left breast pocket a check and he'd put it in the offering basket. This is a three-by-five card. Uh, but he would uh, take a check out and put it in the offering basket every single week. There were weeks where I knew that our family was struggling financially because my dad was self-employed, but I always saw him take out a check and put it in anyways. There were periods where I know, knew that we were really, really tight financially and that maybe I couldn't go on a field trip at school or maybe I couldn't do something because we didn't have the money, but I always saw dad take that check out and put it in the offering basket. And it taught me something from a very young age. God always comes first. Now, my parents made a, a whole gang of mistakes. I mean, look at me. Uh, they made a ton of mistakes. But one of the things that they did right, I think, was teaching me that God owns everything and God expects good stewardship on his part. 
And so you might say, well, that's not the perspective that I have. You might have gone to a false teaching church where they made it all about the money. Uh, that's a terrible, terrible type of church to be in. Those are the types of churches that God is not pleased in. Again, uh, financial blessings on your life are not necessarily an indication of, of being right with God. Uh, the, your health, prosperity, wealth that you might have is not necessarily an indication of your giving. I've heard people say that if you, if you give to God, he's gonna give you everything that your heart desires. If you want a new car, you need to give because God will give you a new car. God doesn't exchange one idol for another, and that's just poor biblical teaching. And the idea that if I am faithful in my giving to the Lord, that everything just works out my way and all the, the lights turn green and I don't get stuck in traffic and my car doesn't break down, that's just not biblical teaching when it comes to giving. But we'll take a look this morning at what it means to have our priorities in our heart right before God and, and what it looks like when our uh, heart is aligned with God's heart. As we take a look at through the totality of Scripture from cover to cover, we see really four types of biblical giving that we see uh, in Scripture. Uh, the first of these is the tithe, tithing. Tithing is the, uh, a type of giving that goes back to the Old Testament it happened before there was a Levitical law. Now, the Levitical law gave us indications on how to tithe, but the tithe existed prior to the law. And basically, the idea is that one-tenth of a person's goods, whether it be agricultural or monetary, was dedicated to God. Uh, practice of tithing has changed since the Old Testament period, but the concept of setting aside one-tenth of one's income or goods for religious use has remained the same. How does Huicala Baptist Church pay our rent? By the tithes and offerings of God's people. Simple as that. Uh, how do we pay uh, our insurance that we have? The tithes and offerings of God's people. How do we pay our payroll? The tithes and offerings of God's people. How do we buy uh, curriculum for our Sunday school classes? The tithes and offerings of God's people. Uh, how do we print gospel tracts that, that we use to lead people to Christ? The tithes and offerings of God's people. How do we give away Bibles to first-time guests who come? The tithes and offerings of God's people. How do we keep the things rolling around here? The tithes and offerings of God's people. Simple as that. And if you look at historically in the Bible how things were done, uh, the folks would bring their tithes to the temple and then those tithes would be used to basically take care of the priests who would uh, take care of the management of the temple and they also go towards uh, the upkeep and the maintenance of the temple. So this idea that our tithes and offerings allow us to have a place of worship is really a biblical concept that we find. And again, the tithe was always one-tenth of whatever you, you had coming across your hands. And again, if you notice in your notes here, it says whether it be uh, monetary or agricultural. If a man had a, a field of corn and he harvested his crop, he would always take one-tenth of that corn and he would bring it to the temple. Now, if you own cows, please don't bring one of your cows and drop it off here at the church, okay? That will not be helpful to us at all. Now, if you want to have the beef processed and, and drop off a, a lot of steaks, that would be nice, uh, but, um, and again, we were at a church one time, uh, and uh, one of the, the ladies in the church sold Amway, and one of the things that she wanted to do was bring one-tenth of her sales goal for the year to the church in cleaning supplies. We, we don't tithe in cleaning supplies, okay? Uh, and again, oh, I'm not even going to go in the Amway route, uh, but um, we, we, we tithe most of us receive a paycheck, so we, we tithe in dollars and cents. If you get paid in corn, maybe we can work out something for you to bring one-tenth of your corn to the church, and we'll work it out that way. But most of us get paid in dollars and cents, and so we tithe one-tenth of that automatically belongs to God. Now, 90% that's left over is not yours. It's still God's, but God gives it to you to allow you to steward it in a way that would please him. So whatever's left over after I give to God is, is mine to do with as I think would honor and please the Lord. Now again, if I'm gonna spend it on foolish things, I'm gonna go out, uh, let's say for example, I, I go to the mall and I buy myself a $600 belt uh, to keep my pants up. That's God's money that I use to buy something that might be poor stewardship. Uh, and, and again, hold, hold up for just a second before we say, well, maybe God doesn't want us to have nice things. No, no, no. God wants you to have nice things. It's not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to have nice things. The sin with God comes in when we have nice things at the expense of his kingdom. I don't give to God through my tithes and offerings because I have a $100 or a $1,000 a month car payment. I can't give to God through my tithes and offerings because I'm $60,000 in credit card debt buying things that I could not afford. Those things become poor stewardship and now I can't give the way God commands because I've chosen to make my God the things of this world. And so tithing is kind of the, the first step that it comes to in our giving that we have that we find in the Bible. Again, and some folks have said before, well, the, the New Testament doesn't command us to tithe the way that the Old Testament did. Uh, you're right that it doesn't. We'll take a look at that in just a moment. Uh, but the next type of 
biblical giving that we have are offerings. This is any type of gift that we give uh, to a king, a god, as a formal act of loyalty, worship, or devotion. This represents a pledge of loyalty between the giver and the receiver. This can take the form of a sacrifice, a tithe, a first fruit, or money. So we give the tithe because it's, it's commanded of us to give to, to God uh, proportionally as what God has given to us, and uh, the tithe is a great starting point for that. But the offering is anything above that. Say, for example, I, I want to give uh, additionally to some other need that we have. On Mother's Day, we'll receive a Mother's Day offering to uh, benefit a place for women in YPO. Uh, it's a, a pro-life group of folks that uh, have really taken seriously loving women, caring for the gospel, and helping these ladies find Christ and helping these ladies keep their children. We want to give to that. We give above our tithes uh, that we have. This would be an offering that we give. The next type of offering that we find in Scripture is the first fruit offering. The first fruit offering is the first and best part of the harvest or crops uh, that's processed produce, animals, firstborn sons, whatever you have. We find that throughout scripture as first fruit giving. So some people who might say, uh, well, well, the New Testament doesn't command us to tithe. Uh, The idea of first fruit giving is found all throughout scripture where I take the first part of what I'm given and I give that to God. Sometimes folks ask when it comes to the tithe, well, do I tithe based on my net income or my gross income? And again, I've heard poor teaching that says this statement. You might have heard it too. Well, do you want net blessings or do you want gross blessings? Come on, that's just a poor way of looking at it. And again, the idea that if I give God, uh, you know, an extra $50 a a week or $50 a month that I'm gonna receive $50 worth of blessings, it just doesn't work that way. But the idea of first fruit giving does. When someone would take a harvest, they would take the first portion of that harvest, the best part of it, and they would give that to God before they did anything else with it, before they took it to market, before they uh, paid taxes out of it or anything like that. And so this concept of first fruit giving gives us the principle that we give based off of what we have been given, not based on what we bring home. I've known people before who also have tithed off of their leftover money at the end of the month. After I've had taxes taken out, after I paid my health insurance, after I paid my cable bill, after I paid my rent, uh, after I bought groceries, then whatever I have left over is say $200, I'll tithe off of that and give $20 a month to God. God doesn't work that way either. God wants the first part of it. This is so important to God, the first fruit giving, that when he gave to us, he gave his son Jesus who the Bible calls the first fruits of those that were dead. Jesus was the first and best that God had, his only begotten son, that he gave to us first. And so the idea that we give God our best, we give God our first, that's a a concept that's found from Genesis to Revelation in our giving. So while the New Testament does not necessarily command the word tithe, the idea of first fruit giving is found all throughout Scripture. And the New Testament does command that we give proportionally. We'll take a look at that in just a moment as well. So uh, Jesus is the first fruits of the dead. Uh, God's concept of giving to us off the, the, uh, the best and, and most important part. The next type of giving that we find is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is known as grace giving. This is, I have tithed already, I've given to the Lord, but then there's an additional need that I can help me. There's additional ways that I can bless others with what I've been given. And again, if we get the idea that my finances that are get are simply to bless me or to take care of my needs, we really don't understand why God's given to us in the first place. God has given me, he's blessed me so that I can bless other people. And in this room today sit some of the most wealthy people in the entire world. And you might be looking around going, wow, where are they at? It's you. And so we, you don't know my financial situation. You don't know, you don't know how much money I have. Statistics tell us that 50% of the world's population subsists on less than $2 a day, $2 a day. So if you have more than $60 in your bank account in a given month, you're automatically in the top 50% most wealthy people in the entire world. We have so much at our disposal. I had the opportunity to one time travel to El Salvador and see how people live there, sometimes on $60, $70, $80 a month. People would would crowd in in houses and and, uh, eat things that you and I wouldn't even think about eating to get by. And many folks would come to the United States and and work uh, many times in in poor working conditions to be able to send money back to uh, these other countries because we are so wealthy and so blessed here. 
And so the idea of grace giving is that I would take what God's blessed me with, the, I'm gonna say it for you, the wealth that God has blessed you with, and I'm gonna bless other people with that. I'm gonna help meet someone else's need. I'm gonna take care of another need that someone else has on top of what I've already given to, to God through my tithes, my offerings, and my first fruit giving. I'm gonna give because God has been gracious to me. We do this from time to time. Uh, coming up on March 15th, we'll have a building offering uh, where we're giving towards actually being able to purchase this building or another building here in town one day to make it our permanent home that we own. Currently, we lease this building. Uh, we've got about eight more years left on our lease that we have right now. Uh, and we're praying that our landlord will one day sell this, our building. Actually, my prayer, and hopefully your prayer too, is that our landlord would gift us this building. Wouldn't that be awesome, right? But if not, we're gonna be prepared financially for that. And so March 15th, we'll have a special offering for our, our building fund. And I'd ask every person who calls who we call at their church home to give out of your wealth to be able to see God's kingdom advance. That would be grace giving in this case here. So those are the four types of giving that we find uh, in scripture. Now let's take a look at our passage from Matthew 6 this morning and understand exactly what Jesus is talking about when he talks about our giving. First of all, take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. See, living for this world is short-sighted. If we only live for what we can see on this earth, you're really not getting a full picture. You really don't have a clear perspective on what life is about. If all we can think of is how we're gonna spend our money that we get and what we can buy for ourselves, you're really living a short-sighted life. I remember when I was in the uh, the Navy, I was... Uh, joined the Navy right out of high school, 18 years old, uh, served for six years. I remember every time I made rank, every time I received a pay increase, I immediately, in my mind, thought to myself, what can I buy with that extra $150 a month? Where's, where can I put that towards something? Can I upgrade my car? Can I get a nicer place to live? Uh, should I upgrade my cable package? Uh, back in the day where people had cable packages, right? Um, what can I do with this to help me? Uh, and there were times where I, I would receive a bonus for a job that I worked on. I'd think to myself immediately, what can I buy with that? And the idea that I had was so short-sighted that all I can do is find out what I can get to make myself happy. And friend, let me tell you this, materialism is an unwinnable game, guaranteed. You can't win it, I promise you. There will always be a nicer car than what you drive. There will always be nicer clothes than what you have. There will always be a bigger house than where you live. There will always be somebody who has a, a nicer kitchen appliances than you do. You just can't win. And so if you're trying to get ahead for more creature comforts or more uh, material wealth or more material gain, just know this, you're gonna lose. And the worst part about many folks is when they live for materialism, they don't realize they've lost until it's too late. They don't realize until they've spent way too much money on things of this world that do not matter how far off they are. Several weeks ago, we were... Uh, driving down Alamona Boulevard on a, a Sunday afternoon, and there was a guy driving, it, it was a 2019 Corvette, absolutely fire engine red. I mean, this thing was absolutely drop dead gorgeous. Had black trim on it, had these massively large black rims. And I normally don't like black rims on a car, but this looked sweet. And like, as he pulled up, I mean, the thing just, our, our my minivan was vibrating, yeah, I know. <laughs> My minivan is vibrating from the exhaust on this thing. I mean, and it, it just, from, headlight, from, from red light to red light, I was just like, oh, wow. And I look at that guy, and he's a 60s, guy in his 60s sitting there at the red light, and I thought to myself, I'm thinking in my mind, this is wrong, I'm just gonna confess it. I thought to myself, bro, you made it. You did it, congratulations. I mean, and it was so shiny that it looked like at every red light he got out and actually wiped the car down. It was that, that like, like, there's not a speck of dust on this thing. Like, I, I think it just rolled off the showroom floor right onto Alamona Boulevard. I'm thinking to myself, that is unbelievable. And as I'm looking at it, I'm staring out the window and stuff like that. And my son Vanderlei's in the back seat and he says, hey dad, did you see that Corvette? I go, yeah, man, gorgeous, isn't it? He goes, it is. We sat there for a minute and he goes, have you seen the 2020 Corvette? And I go, yeah, that's the mid-engine. If you haven't looked, you should Google this after church. Um, the 2020 Corvette is a mid-engine. It looks like a Ferrari. And I mean, it's just like, and I thought to myself, oh, I feel bad for this guy, right? He should have waited till 2020, you know? Like, poor guy. And, and now I thought to myself, I thought he made it, but he didn't make it, you know? It's just like, dude. 
You know why? Because there's always gonna be a next year's model. There's always gonna be an upgrade for what you have. Uh, you know, my wife uh, likes to, to go uh, window shopping for appliances. And, you know, you, you go into like Best Buy and places like that, you see those sub-zero fridges. Have you seen those before? They're just like massive, huge fridges. And I'm thinking to myself like, wow, how much meat could you put in one of those? Like, oh, wow. There's a vegetable drawer. That's just a place to store more meat because nobody actually buys vegetables, right? Uh, there's a, there's a, a fruit drawer, but that's just a place to put more bacon, right? Uh, there's no need for those. But you look at those, you're like, wow, that's massive. But there's always one bigger. And, you know, the, the big, huge Sub-Zero, we went next door and they had a, a Viking something or other. That this, no lie, the refrigerator itself is eight feet tall. How awesome would that be? Like, they should have fold-out stairs for that so that you can get the stuff on the top shelf. That's incredible. And, and just for, for by way of, of, of scale, this is eight, the top of my fingertip is eight feet. That's how tall this fridge was. And it was stainless steel and it had these doors that opened that felt like you were opening like the door of a castle or something. I thought, wow. But it's a refrigerator, right? It's a fridge. It's bigger, but it's the same thing as that $110 fridge on Craigslist does. The exact same thing. And just know you can't win. And here's the thing with this massively large, totally awesome refrigerator. There was no water in the door. There was no crushed ice. There was nothing. Just these two massive. And so then I thought to myself, if I bought that, which I couldn't, and I wouldn't have room for it anyway. If you bought a fridge like that, you'd have to have like a built-in ice maker like in your island, right? Where you have like the nugget ice like you get at Sonic, you know, and the, and the big, tr and then I thought to myself, this just, it just doesn't stop, right? Then you have to have an island, right? And you can't buy one of those prefab countertops that they have at Home Depot, right? You have to get like marble or slate on your island, you know? It's an unwinnable game, you cannot win. The book of Ecclesiastes, which we'll be taking a look at tonight, was written by most folks, and I, I believe was written by Solomon. Solomon was one of the wisest men to ever live. He was also one of the richest men to ever live. And I think the verses in your notes, Ecclesiastes 2, verse number 10, Solomon said, whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor and a portion of my labor. In other words, if I wanted something, I just bought it. it whatever I wanted, I just got it. And I could have it because I worked hard is what he said. And then I looked upon the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I labored to do. And behold, all was vanity. The word vanity means meaningless. And vexation of my spirit and my heart was messed up because there was no profit under the sun. I got everything I'd ever wanted. If I wanted something, I just bought it. If you ever read through Ecclesiastes 2, he goes on and details the things that he did. He wanted to throw a party, he threw a party. If he wanted men dancers, he got men dancers. If he wanted lady dancers, he got lady dancers. If he wanted food, he, he'd have animals slaughtered and have somebody cook the food for him. And whatever he wanted, he got it. And he said, at the end of the day, there really wasn't anything there. It was all meaningless. And my heart was troubled because of it. And just know this, if you're chasing the things of this world, expecting to find happiness there, you're just gonna be disappointed because the best thing in life aren't things. So living for this world is short-sighted. What this world offers cannot satisfy. Again, we chase after the things of this world hoping to scratch an itch that we have only to find out that that itch still itches. You might upgrade your cell phone only to find out that they're coming out with a better version next year. You know, the, I think the iPhone 11 Pro Max has been out for all of less than 90 days and already talking about the iPhone 2020 and what it's gonna do and how it's gonna be sleeker and it's gonna be better and the cameras are more awesome and the battery life is 50% longer and all this other stuff. You, you, you're gonna chase it forever, but here's what you're gonna find at the end of the day, it won't satisfy. You're gonna drop your phone, you're gonna crack the screen and you're gonna walk around with a busted up phone for six months. It just is what it is. And you're not gonna find happiness there. We think, if I find a relationship, I'll be happy. If I can get in a dating relationship, I'd be happy, single adults often think. And then, uh, I've, I've talked with so many single adults who feel like, if I could just get married, all of my problems would go away. And you've never talked to anybody who's been married before then, because that's not reality. Well, if I could just get this job, this job is kind of everything I've ever wanted, only to find out that job has a boss who's a jerk. The pay isn't really what they thought it would be. 
the responsibilities they have doesn't really meet the criteria that they thought it was going to meet. And they only find out this new job really just brings more disappointment. We're going to move this new neighborhood because there's so much crime in my existing neighborhood only to find out that somebody broke into your car in your new neighborhood too. I'm going to live in this new house because in this new house, I won't have to do X, Y, and Z and it'll be better because of that only to find out that that house has its own problems too. And you're chasing something that never satisfies. I have a friend who's a professional student. He's my age, early 40s, and he uh, just graduated college. He's got doctorate degree. He's got three master's degree. He's never in his entire life ever actually held a, a job. I'm not talking about a real job. Like, that's not a real job. He's never worked in his life. He's been a professional student, literally, for 20-plus years. Ridiculous amount of degrees. And he said to me, Anthony, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Like, bro, your life is half over. Like, and you're just now starting to have this, like, I was thinking that when I was like 17, you know? But he thought, just one more degree. I'll be able to do this if I, if I get one more degree. Uh, if, I, if, I, if I get this, if people can call me doctor, that would be a big deal. Only to realize you can go on the internet and get yourself a certificate for $79 that calls you doctor. The title itself doesn't mean a whole lot. He was chasing something and he found out at the end of the day there wasn't really anything there and now he's trying to figure out at, at, at 40 something years old, what does he want to do with the rest of his life? Because he was chasing the wrong thing. The things of this life cannot satisfy. Haggai 1, 5, and 6 says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and bring in little. You work so hard and you don't even bring in a lot. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe, but there's none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in a bag with holes. <laughs> He's talking to the children of Israel, saying, you're working so hard and you're not really getting ahead. You're working so hard and you're not really making any progress. You know why? Because you're using the wrong measuring stick. So many times I talk with people and they say, oh, I'm, I'm moving to Texas. Why? Because I'll never own a home in Hawaii. Is that the goal? Is it gold standard of you've made it or not? Whether you actually own a piece of real estate? <laughs> Whether you're not having, having a mortgage is your determination of success? Owing a bank? hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars means that you've made it? You get the wrong measuring stick. Well, you know, I'm going to quit my job and find another job where I can be in, in, in middle management. Is that your job, to, to find something that makes you comfortable, has a title that makes you feel like you've made it? Don't be short-sighted. Don't chase after the things of this world. They will not satisfy. When I separated from the military, Angela and I started a computer training and consulting company. And at, at 24 years old, I was self-employed and I made six figures, uh, man, 20 years ago. And I thought we had made it, only to find out that money doesn't make anything. You might have more money, but you also have more problems. And at the end of the day, the more money you make, the more bills that you have, and really you're just switching around decimal places and zeros on the end of what you're working with. How many of you, be honest, and you'd say, there was a time in my life where I thought to myself, if I can figure this budget thing out and I could just bring in $75 more a month, I would be comfortable. You may have ever thought that before? Raise your hand if that was you. I just thought to myself, if I could just get another $75 out of my paycheck, I think I could make it. If maybe I could just make $125 more a month, I think I'd be comfortable. And we look back at times like that and go, good grief, I think I was making $7 an hour then, you know? How did I think I could live on that? Because my expectations were different. And again, look, I'm 42 years old. I'll probably never own a house here in Hawaii. You know why? That's not my goal. I'll probably never, you know, have enough money in the bank where I can just retire and travel the world. That's not my goal. I'm never going to leave my kids a massive inheritance. Sorry, kids. They already knew that. It's not my goal. And again, if your goal in life is to be wealthy, you're using the wrong measuring stick. And again, if you want to measure against the rest of the world, you're already ridiculous wealthy. And there are people that are, are praying for the things that you already have and take for granted. You just got to have a right perspective through this. The things of this world will not last. There's coming a day when you will die. And somebody's going to take all of your stuff and put it in a box and either take it to goodwill, have a yard sale, pass it on to somebody, 
and you're gone. The things of this world will not last. I think when my wife and I pass on and our kids have to go through our stuff one day, they'll look at this and go, why did they keep this? What is this? Uh, we've thankfully been able to uh, to move on about seven or eight different occasions since we've been married, major moves. Um, and uh, every time it's gone through a massive purge. So kind of everything we have at this point is only what's absolutely required. I mean, kindergarten projects, we got pictures of them and we tossed them, you know. Uh, oh, they wore this the, the day that they went to their first day of school. Take a picture of it, throw it away. Um, we, we purged a lot. But seriously, the things that I would consider important to me, I think, other people will look at it and go, eh, is what it is, you know? I've got a Bible that was given to me by a friend who's in heaven now, one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. He gave me his Bible. That Bible means a lot to me. The, the cover's fallen off of it, and there's a handful of notes that are scrawled through there and things like that. It doesn't mean a lot to anybody else. It means a lot to me. I think, though, when I'm dead and gone, somebody's going to look at this and go, eh, anybody want this Bible? Eh, okay, we'll throw it in the back, and somebody can use it in church or something like that. We'll give it to somebody or drop it off at Goodwill. It means nothing to anybody else, but it means a lot to me clothes, shoes, jewelry, it doesn't mean anything to anybody. So why are we chasing these things at the expense of things that really matter? Your car is going to break down one day. Your car is going to be worth a fraction one day of what you actually paid for it. There's going to come a time where the car that you got so much joy from, you absolutely hate driving it. You know why? Because these things don't last. We can't chase after things that will not matter at the end of the day. The Bible says, lay not up for yourself treasure here on this earth. Ecclesiastes 2.18, yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun because I should leave it to a man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool, yet he shall have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity or meaningless. You know what Solomon said? I busted my whole my hump my entire life to have nice things. And when I die, some knucklehead's going to take it from me? He hasn't worked a day for what I've gotten. You know what he's saying? I can't even take it with me. Like, I, I really, everything I've worked for, somebody else is going to get when I die. Absolutely. That's why we don't take time putting our resources into things that don't matter, things that won't last. I mean, think about this. Is life really just about accumulating stuff until you die? Is this all there is? If so, it's an unwinnable game. I remember when I was in high school, the uh, popular uh, clothing line at that time was no fear. Does anybody remember no fear shirts? They had shirts on the back that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. It's just like, no fear. It's like, oh, that's cool. No, he who dies with the most toys dies. And all of his toys get sent to an estate sale where they get auctioned off to the highest bidder. And life goes on without you. Hey, look, life is short. When you die, when I die, they're going to dig a hole, they're going to buy an expensive box because there's no cheap boxes, and they're going to put us in that hole, and they're going to cover us up with dirt. And when they finish that, everybody's going to stand around and hug for a minute, and they're going to go to somebody's house and eat fried chicken, and then life's going to go on. Really, that's how this works. If you haven't seen it, that's how it works. And you know what? The only thing that you leave behind are the intangible things. What are you leaving behind? What are you building your life around? Look, my kids aren't waiting for me to die so they can go through all my stuff because I don't have any stuff. My kids have called stuff like, oh, I'll get dad's Lakers jacket. <laughs> Good grief. I'm not even close to being dead yet, right? But here's the thing. Is it really just about getting more stuff till we die? Is that really what life's about? Getting a nicer apartment, getting a house, getting a car, taking crazy vacations. Is that really what life's about? If so, then life is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 5.15, as he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return and go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. This is also sore evil. and all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness and has much sorrow and wrath and his sickness. Hey, you came into this world with nothing? You're gonna leave with nothing. And you labor for what? It says he worked for what? The wind. It's gone. Every bit of it, 100%. 
So are you living your life for something that really matters? I want to challenge you to be a part of something that will outlive yourself. Be a part of something that outlives yourself. Think of what you can do that will leave a lasting impact. Look, at my celebration of life, because we, we believe that Christians live on for all, forever and all of eternity. At my celebration of life, I don't want people to talk about the nice things that I had. Oh, you had a really nice house. Oh, if you ever rode in that car that he had, oh, nice stuff, you know. I don't want people to talk about the stuff that I had. I want people to talk about the impact that I made. He loved me. He shared the gospel with me. He taught me truth. He lived out his faith in a real, tangible, practical way. Those are the things I want to be remembered by. I want to live for something that lasts. I want to leave a legacy of faith. I want to prepare for the day that I stand before God in heaven. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Every single one of us will stand before God one day, and I, as your pastor, want to help you to stand before God one day with joy. So glad to be here, God. I wasn't perfect, but I did my best. I want to prepare you for that. Live for this world. It's a, it's a, a losing game. Live for eternity. Live for the day that you stand before God face to face. That you can say, glad I'm here. I'm glad that I lived my life for something that mattered more than stuff. Live in light of eternity. Invest in eternal things. I want to help people know God. That's something that'll last. I want to help people to know the Bible. That's something that'll last. I want people to know love who've never known love before. That's something that'll last. I know for sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven one day, not because I'm a good person or because I'm a pastor, but because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and Jesus saved me from my sin. And you know what I want to do? I want to take other people to heaven with me. I want other people to know Jesus and how he can forgive them of their sins so that I can have an eternal impact. I want to think one day that I got to heaven not just because I put my faith in Jesus, but I want to know that I got to heaven because I put my faith in Jesus and I brought other people along on the journey with me. I don't want to show up in heaven by myself. I want other people to come with me. I want to invest in eternal things. Verse number 20 in our passage this morning Jesus says, for I say unto you that except, uh, no, chapter five, verse, chapter six, verse number 20, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. I want to live for eternity. I want to live for something that matters. I don't want my money to just buy a more expensive car. I don't want my money to just buy nicer clothes. I don't want my money to just be used for some frivolous, temporary purpose. I want to live for eternity. So I want to encourage you to invest in eternal things. Jesus says that your view of money is indicative of your view of God. Take a look at verse number 24. If no man can serve two masters for either hate one and love the other, else he'll hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That word mammon means money. Isn't it crazy that Jesus himself puts money on the same level as God? Like, you gotta take your pick. You can't serve both. And again, this is not our, our church talking about giving. This is Jesus talking about giving. This is Jesus says, well, you need to take your pick. Either you're gonna serve money or you're gonna serve God. You can't do both. Well, I can, I can, I can serve, serve money and I'll give God part of my money. One or the other, take a pick. Money makes a great servant, but it makes a lousy master. If you want to allow money to make your decisions in life, you'll be disappointed, guaranteed. If you want to allow God to drive the decisions you make in life, you'll never be disappointed. I can guarantee you that as well. But you have to choose who your master is. And again, I can say, well, I can serve God and, and serve my money at the same time. Jesus says you can't. You got to take your pick. And your view of your finances is your view of God. Hey, look, if we took out our check register, I know we don't use check registers anymore. For those of you that don't know, there used to be a day when every financial transaction you make, you pull out your check register and you'd write it in there and you had to keep a running tally. 
You have to manually do your math, and at the end of the month, you get your bank statement, you reconcile your bank statement with your check register. How many people know what I'm talking about? Nice. 20 of us, right? Before the days of online banking. So if we were to take your online banking check statement for the month and look at it, we would see what's really important to you. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We'd see what's important. If you give $250 a month to Panda Express, we would say, that's pretty important, right? If you spend $7,000 a month on rent, we'd say, that's important to you. If you spend $1,200 a month on a truck payment, that's pretty important to you. You spend $2,000 a month on your kid's education, you say, that's important to you. You spend $20 a month in giving to the Lord, we'd say, hmm, that's all important to you. You say, well, who are you to judge? I'm not judging anybody. I don't have the authority to judge anybody. Let God's word say where your treasure is, there your heart, where your heart be also. Again, it's a matter of priorities when it comes to God. Invest in eternal things. Again, I'm not saying that you can't spend an exorbitant amount of money on rent. If God has blessed you and you're taking care of what God asks you to take care of, by all means, it's yours to steward as you see fit. I see nothing wrong with, with private education. If that's a choice that you and your family have made for that, just you can't do those things at the expense of the kingdom is the only thing that I'm saying, the only thing that God is saying here. Money makes a great servant, but it makes a lousy master. Now, 10 principles on biblical giving. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on these. These are in your notes. I'm just gonna give you the blanks and briefly sh share something on these. First of all, we give to God because he gave to us first. God gave us the pattern for what love looks like. For God so loved the world that he gave. Simple as that. God gave to us because of his love for us. We give in response to that. I don't give so that hopefully I'll go to heaven one day. I give because God has forgiven my sins and given me his son, Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure when you die, heaven's your home. Listen up, most important thing you'll hear all day. God loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. John 3, 16 tells you that. The Bible says that because of our sin, all of us have broken God's law and all of us are in danger of God's judgment. And if you die in your sin, you'll spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's a fact. That's the default destination for every person on, on planet Earth. Every human being is automatically gonna go to hell when we die because we've sinned against God unless you have someone pay for you. I can't pay for your sin. I have my own sin to pay for. There's not a church in the world that can pay for your sin. There's not enough baptisms you can have to pay for your sins. Either you can pay for your sin by going to hell or Jesus can pay the price for you. And Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine so that we don't have to go to hell so that we don't have to spend eternity separated from God, so we don't endure God's wrath and judgment. And it's the only way that you can go to heaven by being saved, faith in Jesus Christ, that's it. And Jesus says, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You have to know for sure that you're saved. And friend, if you're here today, the only thing you need to hear, put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sins. He's the only hope that you have. Now, for those of us that are saved, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, now we want to follow what God's told us in his word. Now we want to be obedient. Now we want to give because he's already given to us. That means next we give of ourselves first. Look, God doesn't need your money. God is not broke. God can pay his bills just fine. This is not a fundraising message. This is not asking you to make a pledge or sign a card. We're not gonna get a thermometer that we're gonna put up on the, the platform that every week when people give, it's gonna fill up until it busts out the top. This is not that thing. God doesn't need your money, he's not broke. God wants your heart. And when God has your heart, you'll say, my money doesn't belong to me anyways. What does God want from me? I'm willing to give it. My life doesn't belong to me. What does God want from me? I'm willing to give it. That's what Romans chapter 12, verse number one says. Brethren, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God wants your heart first and foremost before he ever wants anything else from you. And did you know you could cut a check for, for $100,000 a day and drop it in the offering basket, but if your heart isn't right with God, he doesn't want it. He just doesn't want it. Keep it. 
God wants our giving to come out of love, worship, adoration. God, I give because I love you. The offering portion of our service should be one of the most joy-filled times because we get to give. We give of our own heart first, though. Next, we give in obedience. God has asked us to give, and so we give. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number one. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even do so ye. Paul says, hey, here's the guidance I'm giving to all the churches. Upon the first day of the week, that's Sunday, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him so that there be no gatherings when I come. So he says, hey, I want you to give on the first day of the week. So we give out of obedience. Next we give out of worship. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits, there's that word again, of all thine increase, so thy barns shall be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Honor the Lord with the first fruit of your increase. If God puts $10 in your hand this week, honor him from it. God gives you $500 this week, honor him with that in proportion to what he's given you. Next, we give to further the kingdom. The tithes, offerings, first fruit giving and grace giving that takes place here at who we call about his church gets invested directly in reaching people with the gospel. It's what allows us to continue to subsist. It's what keeps the, the lights on. It's what keeps the AC on here because of our giving towards the kingdom to see real life change. Last week, we started our discipleship program. We had probably about uh, 20 or 25 or so folks that met last week on Wednesday night for discipleship. We got probably another 15 or 20 that meet throughout the week. At any given time, we've got 50 or so people that are involved in discipleship, learning the word of God. That's part of the Great Commission. How do we do that financially through the tithes, the offerings, and the first fruit giving of God's people? Those people that enrolled in discipleship, we didn't charge them a fee to be taught the word of God. We invested our wealth into the kingdom so that they could learn God's word. So we give to further the kingdom. We give to bless others. There's a need we want to help meet it. There's a challenge. We want to do what we can to rally around that and to make a way. And so we give so that we can bless others with the wealth that we have, what God's given us. Next, we give willingly. We don't give by compulsion. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, every man according to the purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God loveth a cheerful giver. The Mormon church, which happens to be a false religion, has a yearly meeting where you sit down with church leadership and they have what's called a tithing settlement meeting where you have to sit down and tell them, are you tithing or not? Uh, I had one friend who used to be a Mormon who said they actually, their uh, church actually required them to bring their W-2s in at the end of the year so they could compare that against their actual giving record to find out whether you tithed or not. <laughs> First of all, the Mormon church is a false church. If you need more information on that, I'd be happy to provide it with you. That's not my opinion, it's the Bible's truth. Secondly, that practice is 100% unbiblical. If this were a biblical church, it's completely and totally unbiblical. Look, at the end of the day, the only person who needs to know whether or not you're tithing is you and the Lord. And it's a matter of obedience to him, and it's out of love and a willing spirit. Next, we give cheerfully. Again, God loveth a cheerful giver. If you ever feel guilty or feel like compelled to give, don't give. God wants you to give out of love, worship, adoration. That's it, simple as that. Next, we give regularly. Again, the first day of the week, we, we give according to what God's given to us. Some, I met people before, so why just give as the Lord leads? Well, the Lord has led you, according to Scripture, to give on a regular basis. Now, some folks have asked, if we're to give every Sunday on the first day of the week, what if I get paid every other week? Should I split up my, my check and give every other week or split it up and give every single week? I tell people the idea is not that we would give on a seven-day uh, rotating schedule. It's that as God gives to us, we give to him. Again, if you take a look at the verse, it says, as God hath prospered you. This week, if I take in zero dollars, then I should give zero dollars. This week, if I take in $1,000, I should give proportionately compared to what I have received in that given week. But we give on a regular basis. We don't just give when we feel like giving. Next, we give proportionally. Proportionally, again, it says that we give as God hath prospered us. And again, we as Bible-believing Christians would say that the tithe is a great place to start, 
10% of what we have received should, should be given to the Lord. That's a great place to start. I think it's a terrible place to stop. If you take a look at New Testament giving, people have said before, well, the Bible doesn't say we should give the tithe in the New Testament. You're right. Uh, the Bible actually speaks of people giving even more than that. The, the widow who gave her might, Jesus says she gave how much? All. That's 100% giving, and Jesus commended that. We see Zacchaeus, when he, said, when he met Jesus Christ, he says, I want to restore to every person that I've received twice as much as what I have taken from them. So we see 200% giving in Zacchaeus' case here. So we see throughout Scripture, even in the New Testament, that when people get, give, the tithe was kind of the baseline, and they gave above that as the Lord blessed them to. So we give in proportion to what God's given to us. If God's given you nothing, you give nothing. If God's given you a little, you give a little. If God's given you a lot, you give a lot. So we give proportionally. Those are 10 principles. Final thought here, though, this morning. Giving reveals our heart. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And again, if you're sitting here with your arms crossed, upset about this, this talk on giving, I love you to death. I'm not mad at you. I'm not trying to be ugly. I just want to tell you, it just reveals your heart. It does. But if you love God and you've been giving, maybe you haven't been giving the tithe, but you've been giving the best that you can to the Lord, I think you're sitting here receiving this message going, yeah, praise God, I want to do more. I want to do my part. I want God to be honored by my life. And maybe you haven't been giving, but you really want to honor God. And you say, yes, this is an area that I need to grow in. And look, next week we're going to talk about praying, and you might take next week's message and say, yeah, I need to pray more too. We're talk about sharing our faith in the month of March. You say, yeah, I need to learn to share my faith better. Yeah, the Christian life is all about growth. And this is just an area for some of us that we need to grow. This is an area where some of us, where we might be mature in our giving, and we need to, to grow to a greater degree in this area. But at the end of the day, giving just reveals my heart because where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. Look, if you have a need, I'm going to try to meet your need the best that I can because honestly, at the end of the day, I don't live for money. If I know somebody has a need, I want to bless them with what God's given me. If somebody needs a ride, I want to give them a ride in God's car. If somebody needs a car to borrow, I want to let them borrow one of God's car because it doesn't belong to me anyways. I want to give of everything that I have because I own nothing. God owns everything. And money at the end of the day is just one of the ways that I get to serve God. It's not the end goal for me. It's just a tool to help me to serve God to a greater degree. And at the end of the day, we always make resources available for what's important to us. We just do. It really comes down to priorities is what this is about. I remember young in our, our marriage, I'd made a lot of foolish decisions. We had bought a car that we couldn't afford and borrowed money that we didn't have to buy a car that we couldn't afford. And we really put our budget in a pinch to have this car. But we had a conversation while we're sitting there filling out the paperwork on this loan that we knew we could not really afford. Well, we'll just not eat out. We'll, we'll, make, we'll make sandwiches at home. That way we can have this car. We can cut off our cable. and We don't have to have cable. We'll like play board games at home so that we can have this car. You know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll carpool more often so we can save on gas so that we can have this car. And we made 101 concessions so that we could have this car. And you know what we found out about that car? It wasn't that great of a car. But we were willing to go to the ends of all of our means because that car was so important to us at that moment. Because we always make time and resources available for the things that are important. Hey, you know this. If you want something, you're going to find a way to get it. And at the same time, we need to say, I just want to please God. And I'm going to find a way to do that. And for some of you, you might be looking at this and go, there's no way on planet Earth I can afford to give 10% of my income to God. Great. Then I want to challenge you with this. Put together a budget and put together a plan to get there. And again, please understand my heart with this. This is not a fundraising message. Our church is not broke. We pay our bills. God's been really good to us. This is not a fundraising message. I want you to give for your benefit. I want you to be blessed. I want you to see God come through for you. I want your faith to grow. I want you to be obedient. I want you to see the blessings that come from following God in every area of your life. So if you walk away from this going, ah, I knew it, church is all about the money. You missed it. You missed it 100%. And again, if you have that attitude, please don't give. Please don't. But if you say, I really want to honor the Lord more, I really want to please God in my life. This is an area where I get to grow. 
Man, I want to challenge you. Take God at his word and just be obedient. I promise you, you'll be blessed. I promise you. Most important thing in the world for here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved. Please don't leave here today without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. You know for sure that you're saved. And for those of us that are saved, let's live for, for God this week. Let's put Jesus first in every area of our life, from our time, our talent, our treasure. Let's be a generous people who are willing to give to God and give to others because we have been blessed and because God has given us so much. Let's be faithful to him this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.